Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to the book of James, chapter 1. James, chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 1 through 8. I want to talk to you this morning about faith in the prophetic voices that are in the earth today. Faith in the prophetic voices that are in the earth. James chapter 1, verse 1 says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. If any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. He won't withhold it if you ask him. That goes for, for wisdom or anything else that you need. He says, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive Anything of the Lord, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, you know, Pastor Ed and I have noticed uh, this past week or two that's something that's really alarming. You know, prior to the election, the pro-Trump Christians like ourselves were praying that our president would be reelected and spend another four years in the White House. We've also been praying that we would win the House or the the majority in the House and we would keep the Senate. And I can remember everyone being very enthusiastic, pumped up and confident that he would not only win, but he would win in a landslide. Uh, And it was looking very, very favorable. And the votes were just coming in. Trump had a sizable lead. And uh, as the precincts were reported, it looked like our prayers were being answered. And uh, needless to say, like many of you, we went to bed that evening of Tuesday, November the 3rd, confident that we would wake up and find out that our president was reelected to another four years in office. And however, uh, as you well know, none of that actually happened. Sometime during the wee hours of the morning on November 4th, things mysteriously turned And the votes for Joe Biden spiked in unbelievable proportions uh, to lift him into the lead. And the fake news, I call them the prophets of Baal, began projecting him as the winner. And it wasn't too long after that that they also uh, called the presidential race for Joe Biden and gave him the title of president-elect. And they immediately started calling for President Trump to concede. And at the same time, there were a lot of Christians that lost faith 
and started calling for God's prophets to repent and calling them false prophets because President Trump didn't get elected to a second term. And I know for a fact that God's people can turn fast because they can praise you one minute and cry crucify, crucify the next minute. So that really didn't surprise me that much, but it did disappoint me that Christians, God's children, would believe a false report from the prophets of Baal rather than believe a true prophet of God and what he said. And so, you know, the devil has much of the church wavering because he knows, like we read, if he can get you to waver, he knows that you will not only get anything from the Lord, but he he knows that you can't even think about getting anything from the Lord if you're wavering because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And that's exactly what this portion of the church, not all the church, a large portion of it is double-minded. They believe one thing today and another thing tomorrow. They believe they're healed today, they have a pain, and they don't believe they're healed tomorrow. And it just goes back and forth like that. Well, that's wavering faith. You know, if you ask God for something, don't waver. Believe that you're going to receive what you asked him for, no matter what the circumstances look like, no matter what's going on around you. Don't change your confession. Don't change what you're believing for. Remember I said before, and many other people, delay is not denial. Amen? And so let me tell you a story. This is a true story about wavering faith. Now, about 40 years ago, Miss Ann was trying to get me saved. So she gives me a cassette tape and asks me to listen to it. It was a message on faith by Jerry Savelle. And Jerry Savelle was a young man then just starting out in the ministry, or really just starting out in his walk of faith. And he was an understudy of Brother Kenneth Copeland. Now, this is 40 years ago. And was learning about faith. And Brother Copeland taught a message on Mark 11, 23, where Jesus said, you can have what you say. And back then, it was lovingly nicknamed, name it and claim it. And I'm going to tell it as I remember it, so I probably won't get it exactly right, but you'll get the gist of it, I promise you that. Jerry told this need about uh, having a need for a car. And so on his way to work, he passes by this car dealership every day, and he sees this car and he falls in love with it. If I remember correctly, I think it was a 69 Pontiac Bonneville. I may be wrong on that. That might be another story, but I think it was a 69 Pontiac. But anyway, having just heard this sermon from Brother Copeland, he figures, I'll give it a try. And so he walks up to this car, and he lays hands on it, and he's claiming that this car is mine in the name of Jesus. I claim this car in Jesus' name. This is my car. And so the salesman come come out, and he's wondering what's going on, and he says, can I help you? And Jerry says, nope, just want to let you know that's my car. And uh, the salesman says, you want to put something down? He says, nope, that's my car. God gave it to me. Well, I don't have to tell you what the salesman was thinking about that time. But, but anyway, he'd go by there every day and lay hands on that car on his way home from work, on his way to work and on his way home from work. 
And he would claim that car in the name of Jesus, just like Brother Copeland taught, naming and claiming. One day he goes by there and the car is gone. He ran to the salesman. He says, where's my car? And the salesman told him he sold it. He said, you can't sell that. That's my car. God gave it to me. And, and so he says, sorry, Jerry, but I just couldn't hold it any longer. So Jerry's broken hearted. God let him down. He went home that night and started crying out to God. I did your word. I believed that that car was mine. I laid hands on it and claimed it. Uh, and, and you said I could have what I say. All I had to do was name it and claim it. That's my car. That's my car. Why did you let him sell it? And God said, yeah, I said that. And yep, they did sell it. So what's the problem? What's the problem? Have you been listening to me? <laughs> they sold the car. I'm telling you like I remember it. God said, I know. What's your point? And Jerry says, the point is I had faith in you, and I really believed that car was mine, and they sold the car. And God said, well, if you really believed that car was yours, then why did you stop believing just because they sold it? And Jerry's like, God, are we talking about the same thing here? They sold the car. And God said, so what's that got to do with what you were believing or faith? Why did you stop believing just because they sold the car? Well, anyway, to make a long story shorter, the next day a local businessman drives up to Jerry's house, gets out of the same car Jerry was believing God for, walks up to the door, rings the doorbell. Jerry comes out, he hands him the keys and says, God told me to buy this car and give it to you. <laughs> Shut my mouth. So here's the lesson. Just because the circumstances around you change, just because things ain't going the way that you think they should be going, it doesn't mean that God's word has changed. It doesn't mean that what God's prophets spoke has changed. It doesn't mean that God's prophets who spoke it are lying false prophets and, and uh, like we're trying to accuse them of being. I mean... Biden won, so they tell us. Trump is still going to be our president for another four years. If, even if Biden did win, which he didn't, it doesn't change God's word. It doesn't change what the prophets said. And I know most of the church isn't familiar with prophets. Most of the church only knows of the prophets that were in the Old Testament and maybe about one or two in the New Testament. But prophets are real. Prophets speak on behalf of God to the people. And so uh, I know there's a lot of prophets out there, and I know that the, the office of the prophecy has been watered down and discredited because so many of people are saying, thus saith the Lord, when the Lord didn't say anything. And then when the prophecies don't come to pass, they make excuses for it. And people just don't want to hear about it. But I'm here to tell you this morning, there is a prophetic office that is operating in the earth today. And we need to learn who they are. And we need to be able to discern what they're saying. Because we're going to miss an awful lot that God has to say if we don't heed to the prophets. 
Matter of fact, there's nothing happens or goes on in the earth t- today lest God reveal it to his prophets first and gives them permission to reveal it to us. I know some good prophets out there. Pastor Ed is in a, I don't know, a, a program or a club where she gets these messages from the prophets of today and they pray about certain things that other people don't have privy to. And there's a reason for it because of all the unbelief. How many times did Jesus have to drive somebody out of the house so he could pray for somebody and he had to drive all the doubt and unbelief out? Well, God's the same way. He's not going to reveal everything to everybody. Amen. Amen. And for good reason. Hallelujah. But, you know, there's a lot of self-proclaimed prophets in the church. And like I said, because of some of the things they're saying and not coming to pass, that's one of the best ways to judge if a prophet is true or not. Did what he say come to pass? And, and, and you know, prophets are human. They're going to miss it once in a while. Amen. But not on the way these church house prophets are missing it. But regardless of what we might think, there's a prophetic voice in the earth today, and we need to hear it. Amen? And just as the word and the spirit must be properly interpreted and discerned, so must the prophets. We can't believe everyone that claims to be a prophet. And there are prophets in the earth today that have proven track records. They are reputable and notable, and we should know at least some of them. I'll tell you of a couple today. Jeremiah Johnson is one of them. He's a true prophet of God. And when he says something, he sticks with it to the end. No matter what's going on around him, no matter who's calling him a false prophet, no matter what's happening that's contrary to what he prophesied, he sticks to his prophecy and sticks to the word. And 99% of the time, he is accurate. Amen. And, you know, there's ways of determining if a prophet is speaking something that God truly said. And 1 John 4, 1 tells us, this is in the New Living Translation, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. Thus saith the Lord. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. See, a lot of people are speaking from a Spirit, but it's not the Spirit of God. For there are many false prophets in the world. He told us there would be. Why are we surprised when we hear one? There are also a lot of true, reputable prophets uh, that we must make sure that we know who they are and what they're saying. And, uh, you know, I read an interesting article. Matter of fact, Pastor S. sent it to me. uh, That one of the prophets wrote, uh, and her name is Jane Haman. Remember that name. That's a notable prophet as well. And the article was called How to Engage and Prophetically Position Ourselves in This Season. That's a pretty important subject right there. What are we to be doing in this season? What season? This season of waiting, this season of turmoil, this season of uh, election fraud and, and all the stuff that's going on in the court cases and the lawyers and the judges. And, you know, what are we to do as a church in this season? And uh, I, uh, this, one of the things I found interesting in this article that I read is that the true prophets, the true prophets have been predicting tre- President Trump's second term even before he became president the first time. Yes. How do I know it's true? 
They wrote books. It's in the books that were copyrighted in, in 2012, 2014, uh, uh, before 2016, and 2018 as well as predicting his second term. So we can't deny that they prophesied that. And uh, if you think about it a minute, you really can't deny that God said it. So uh, as a matter of fact, some of the prophecies about a Trump victory, like I said, go back to 2012 and 2014 and come from not only different prophetic camps throughout the U.S., but from all over the world as well. We're not the only ones that have prophets. Some people are impatient and are wondering why it's taking so long to overturn this election. But I have news for you. Chuck Pierce, note that, prophesied to Dutch Sheets, another notable prophet, in October of 2018 that the battle in the 2020 election would take us to January the 18th, 2021. I'm not impatient. I already know it's going to be a long, dragged-out thing. I told you a couple times that since it's gotten into the litigious court system, that it's going to take time because our laws move, but they move slowly. So in 2012, a fireman, how many of those firemen could be prophets and firemen can be men and women of God? His name is Mark Taylor. He had an encounter with the Lord in which God showed him that a businessman by the name of Donald Trump, this is 2012 now, that's before 2016, right? Yeah. He told him a businessman by the name of Donald Trump would be the next president of the United States. That was like four years before he actually won. Yeah. As if that didn't sound crazy enough, he also said the Lord told him that this Donald Trump would serve two terms. That was in 2012. In 2014, you probably heard this guy's name, a South African prophet by the name of Kim Clement, who's watching from heaven now. He's, he's gone home to be with the Lord. He prophesied that the next president would be hot-blooded. Was he right? And that president, they would cry, impeach, impeach. Did they not do that? But God said, nay, nay. That's right. He also indicated who this president would be when he declared, Trump will be my trumpet. Now, you can call that coincidence if you want, but it's not coincidence. And in his 2014 prophecy, the Lord declared that Trump would serve two terms. In January 2020, the author of this article, Jane Heyman, uh, had a vision in which Jesus placed a white stone in her hand and in the hands of other believers that were around her. She's, she then saw Jesus approach President Trump and place a white stone in his hand, close his hand on it and close his fingers around the stone and looked him dead in the eye and nodded as if to say, I got this. And in order to understand the significance of the white stone, we have to read about it in Revelation, the second chapter, uh, the 12th verse. It has to do with the church in Pergamos. And I've read articles where these authors are saying and Christians and pastors have been preaching on 
Are we living in the age of Pergamos? Are we living in the age of Sardis? Are we living in the age of the church at Ephesus? We're living in all of the ages. All those churches are prevalent for today. Every one of them. It's not like we went from this church to this church and we're doing the things that this church did now and that church. No, they're all prevalent all the time. The word is, is, is timeless. And so I say, yes, we are living in the age of the church in Pergamos and all the other six churches as well. But it says in 2.12, Revelation 2.12, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. I wonder where Satan's seat is today. I know he's seated somewhere. And he says, And thou holdest fast my name. Even though you're sitting in the seat of Satan, you're in the same place where Satan is sitting, you still hold fast to my name and has not denied my faith. Even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you again where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrifice unto idols, and to commit fornication. That's the doctrine of Balaam. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And then in verse 17, he says this, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So if it's the Spirit speaking, we need a spiritual ear, not these little fleshly flaps hanging on the side of our head that you decorate with earrings. He's talking about an inner ear, the spiritual ear. And then he says, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, bread from heaven, Hidden man, it could be a, a word or a revelation. He says, and will give him a white stone. And in the stone, a new name written, which no man knoweth, saying, uh, saving he that receiveth it. So here's where the white stone comes in. But the white stone has a very powerful spiritual significance, a symbolic significance that goes along with it. In the first century, the time that they're speaking here, the first century church, the fledgling church in Asia Minor, where Jesus is speaking to these churches through John the Revelator, people understood what a white stone meant. They understood it was a symbol of favor and the ability to overcome any and all odds. So the white stone signified three things in the Greek culture. Number one, an acquittal in a trial. Number two, a yes vote in an election. Number three, a prize given to the winner of an athletic contest. He placed that stone in Trump's hand and closed his hand and nodded like, I got this. In a trial, the jury would cast their votes by either dropping in a white stone or a black stone. A white stone indicated innocence and acquittal. The black stone indicated guilt and punishment. 
Trump got a white stone. He's not being punished. Like the left would have us believe. But when elections were held in a city, people would cast their votes by dropping in a white stone for yes and a black stone for no. What color stone did Trump get along with a bunch of believers? In the Olympic Games, the winner of a contest was given a white stone of an overcomer, which then gave that individual access to places of honor that he never had before and positions at events in society. In other words, not being an overcomer, not being a winner, not getting the white stone, there were certain places in the city that you could not go or participate. But this white stone was like the key to the city. In this case, the key to a country. But in all cases, it indicates an overcomer. But you can't be an overcomer if you don't run the race and win. You have to run the race. You have to compete to become eligible for a white stone. And then you have to be a winner. So God is giving the white stone of the overcomer to us before the crisis even came. This happened way before this junk even started. God was giving us his vote of confidence saying that you can and will do this. You can prevail and you will overcome. That's what God was showing us in that vision. The Greek word, this is interesting, that was used for overcome in our passage of Scripture in Revelation, it means to subdue, conquer, prevail, and get the victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want one of them white stones. And, and, you know, I'm not even going to try to figure out what name is written on there, but he said it's going to be a new name, one that you haven't heard before. And, you know, God is big on changing names, but along with the name change is a change of character, a change of venue, a change of position. But anyway, to God, today, God is looking for an overcoming church, an overcoming believer, because that's who the church is, and one who refuses to compromise with the pressures of the present-day society and conform to the world and its philosophies, cultures, and doctrines, which is exactly what much of the church is doing today. A church he's looking for that will stand up against the throne of Satan and all his darkness and witchcraft and will stand unequivocally on the truth. Stand on holiness and unwavering faith in the face of persecution and everything that's going on. Unwavering faith. Wavering faith don't count. Let not that man even think that he will receive anything of the Lord. God is looking for a church that will stand in unwavering faith, not up one day, down the next, not like a roller coaster ride of some kind, in faith one day, not in faith the next, in doubt and unbelief. No, he's looking for a solid church. He gives us a solid foundation to stand on. He's looking for a solid church to stand on that foundation because the shaking is coming and it's already begun. And God doesn't want us shaken. But the only way that he can prevent us from being shaken is if we're standing on something that is unshakable. And that's the rock of the revelation of Christ. 
Are we the church that God is looking for this morning? Are you the church that God is looking for? Those who do not give place to fear, but continue to put their trust in the Lord. God will fight for those, and he will stand for those who will fight and stand for him. I thought God was sovereign. He could do anything he wants. He is, and he, he can. But he does things through his church. We're the authority on the earth today. So to them, he will give a white stone of favor, which will open new doors of access, even into the kingdoms of men. We need access not just to the kingdom of God, but we need access into the kingdoms of men, where we can give God's influence, God's word, God's testimony, where we can give God's counsel, even in the kingdoms of men. And we have that right now in the White House. We have men and women of God that are giving counsel to the most powerful man on the earth today. The president of the United, not just Donald Trump, but the president of the United States. And it has been clearly a tumultuous time for this president. However, the Lord is extending him a white stone of favor, acquittal, and victory in this administration. Uh, And it's not because President Trump is perfect. God knows he's not perfect. Uh, But our president has a heart to do what is right for our nation, a heart for God, a heart for Christians, and a heart for Israel. And that means a lot to God. So let's pray that God's white stone of the overcomer be released in order for our to see our president and his staff operate in that supernatural wisdom and strength. To see our nation set upon the ancient paths and righteous foundations that were intended by not only the founders, our founding fathers in the Bible, but the founding fathers of our Constitution and this country. We need to go back to that place. And we need to see a divine reversal, a divine reversal of what's going on in the in the. This country first and then this earth today. And, and I, I emphasize divine because that has to do with every aspect of everything that's going on. The virus, uh, everything that's going on physically, financially, and spiritually, it needs divine intervention. Man does not have the answer for this. It's a time of freedom, favor, and fulfillment of years of prophetic words for the church and our nations. This is a time to fulfill prophecies that were written in ancient times even. It's time for the overcoming church to arise. This is the church that God's looking for. Jane Heyman had no idea at the time of the vision that the white stone signified and declared President Trump would be acquitted in his impeachment and be given God's yes vote in the election, emerging as the champion. There's all three of the things that a white stone would give you, culminating in President Trump. But one of the things many Christians don't understand is that some prophecies are imminent where others are not imminent. And, you know, uh, there's a big difference because some, sometimes God will, uh, will prophesy things in the word that must absolutely unequivocally come to pass 
exactly like he prophesied it. It's imminent. Nothing and no one can stop that prophecy from being fulfilled. The Bible is full of them. But the Bible is also full of prophetic words from God that are conditional. Now, people would think I'm wavering when I say that, and I'm vacillating in between. You know, I'm making excuses for when a prophecy doesn't come to pass. But that's not what I'm doing at all. The Bible says it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He prophesied that. But is it coming to pass? Is it imminent? Not everybody is repenting. Not everybody is uh, coming into the kingdom of God. Some people, even though it's not God's will, are perishing. Why? Because this is a conditional prophecy that the church must pray through in order for it to happen. People are getting saved in my family and your family because we, the church, have stood in the gap and interceded and prayed for them for years. We wanted to make that conditional prophecy imminent for our family. And we should. And we should be like that for the entire world. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, It's not God's will that anybody in the world should perish, but that they should all come to repentance. But that is not happening because the church hasn't been doing her job. And when we stand up and we do our job and we intercede and we pray and we, we quote specific scriptures and stand on specific scriptures, we're not going to see this happen until we do. We're not going to see a lot of things happen until we do. Oh, you making excuses for uh, the prophets that said Trump would be elected to a second term because you don't think he's going to get elected. Not so. I'm telling you that because the word says that. I'm confident. And I, I, you know, I don't care if they do miss it. I don't care if it don't change anything. They're still prophets of God. Amen? So uh, there's, there's times in prophecy where God is simply just revealing his will, such as in that prophecy there where he said it's not his will that any should perish. God is just telling us what his will is. It's our job to bring it to pass. It's our job to pray it through, get our little feet out there, march to that person's house, knock on his door, and tell him about Jesus. That's our job. And if if we fail to do that, we can't go around saying the prophecy was false. God's a false prophet because it's not happening. Uh, My brother died. My sister died. My aunt, my uncle, my father, my mother died. And as far as I know, they never did confess the Lord. Well, first of all, you don't know everything. And you don't know what they did in the midnight hours when they were in pain and they were uh, scared and they was in the dark. You never know. Nobody can tell who's saved and who ain't. Just because you're sitting in church this morning doesn't mean you're saved. I don't know if you're saved or not. I like to think you're saved by your witness. I like to think you're saved by the life you're living. But I can't be sure. Only God knows. Amen? So don't try to judge somebody. And you know, well, I've been praying for years that God would send somebody to talk to my uh, cousin. And he never did. How do you know he never did? Are you with your cousin 24 hours a day? How do you know who he sent to talk to your cousin in, at work or in the grocery store? You don't know nothing. 
So don't be judging God, because that's what it boils down to. We're judging God. So what is the prophetic position? That's what the article was about. What is the prophetic position as a church in this season? Number one, what I got out of it is that we must begin to pray and intercede like we never had before. And not only pray and intercede, but we must pray and intercede according to the word because that is the will of God. And we must pray according to the will of God. And we must pray prayers that are scriptural, biblical, and something that God would move on. You want to move God? Quote his word to him. And we must pray, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, not his will, not her will, but thy will be done. God wants his kingdom built in the world. But if you look around, you'll see where men are building their own kingdoms. I'm talking about the church. They don't forgot about God and they're building their kingdom. And God is not happy with it. Amen. But we can't pray his will in the earth unless we know what his will is in heaven. Now, I'm going to quote a scripture to you that's been misunderstood for years, especially in the uh, Pentecostal movement, the word of faith movement, the tongue talker movement. Matthew 16, 19, Jesus said, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Boy, I'd like to have those keys. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Man, that is unequivocal power. God gives us that kind of power that whatever we bind on earth, he'll bound in heaven. He'll bind in heaven and whatever we loose on earth, he'll loose in heaven. Praise the Lord. Give me them keys. Wrong, wrong, wrong. God wouldn't trust you with that kind of power. Are you kidding me? You talk about bound up. You talk about things loose that shouldn't be loose. This world would be a mess if we had that kind of power. But let me show you what it really means in Matthew 16, 19 in the Amplified Classic Version. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Praise the Lord. And whatever you bind, declare to be improper and lawful, unlawful on earth must be what is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose, declare to be lawful on earth must be what is already loosed in heaven. Let me read it again. I'll give you the keys to the king of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind declare to be improper and unlawful on earth must be what is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose declare lawful on earth must be what is already loosed in heaven or declared lawful in heaven. That's still powerful. Not as powerful as believing the last version, the King James Version, but this is still very powerful for a believer to have. This is a key that God is trusting us with. Let me tell you something that is improper and unlawful in heaven. Sickness and disease. Lack. uh, uh, A disarray of marriage. These things are improper and unlawful in heaven. 
So I have the authority on earth to bind that thing and declare it to be unlawful and improper on earth in my life and in your life. If we just get that revelation and believe it, truly believe it without wavering, there shouldn't be a sick person in this church. Why? Because it's improper and unlawful. God declared it. And, you know, not my will be done, but thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. God, I'm just praying what you told me to pray. I'm just declaring improper and unlawful the same thing you declared improper and unlawful. Unlawful. I declare that sickness and disease is improper in my body, in your body. I declare that sickness and disease is unlawful in my body, in your body. Therefore, it's got to go in Jesus' name. And then stand on it till it happens. But here's the thing. The church has been declaring things to be lawful on earth that aren't lawful in heaven. That's why he can't trust us with that ability. And that's one of the reasons why the church needs to repent. That's why I preached that last week, that the church needs to repent because God is not hearing our prayers. Uh, um, The church has been preaching a feel-good, politically correct gospel and declaring things lawful on earth that God has declared to be unlawful in heaven. And God is not pleased with it. You cannot declare the LGBTQ lifestyle is lawful on earth because he hasn't declared it lawful in heaven. You can't declare same-sex marriage is lawful on earth. You can't declare that the murder of innocent babies is lawful on earth. You can't declare that fornication and adultery is lawful on earth. You can't declare things unlawful on earth when God says they're unlawful in heaven. They're bound in heaven. They need to be bound down here. We can't lose something that God has bound. And yet the church is doing it. The world is doing it. You know, we just read this morning, Pastor Ed read this morning, where these churches are closing left and right, and they're ridiculing us and criticizing us because we don't close. They says, you don't put the word first. You don't put your people first. You don't care about the health of your people. No, Walmart don't care about the health of our people. Home Depot and Lowe's and Liquor Barn don't care about the health of our people. We care about the health of our people. And they're, and they're saying that you need to put the word first. Don't you know it says that we are to obey the governing authorities? Not when the governing, governing the authority is possessed with the devil, we don't. If it becomes a difference between man's law and God's law, I'm going with God. Amen. Amen. I'm not going to declare something lawful down here that God said is unlawful up there. If it's not proper and lawful in heaven, it will never be proper and lawful on the earth. The greasy grace gospel that's being preached will never make something acceptable down here that is unacceptable up there. God is not hearing or answering prayers that are not according to his will. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him. How many knows we can have some confidence in God? That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
What if we ask something that's not according to his will? He don't hear us. Verse 15 says, and if we know that he hears us because we asked according to his will, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So you cannot pray the will of God unless you know the word of God. You cannot pray the word of God unless you know the will of God because they're one and the same. You better know the will of God before you go before him in prayer. Because a lot of your prayers ain't being heard for that reason. You're praying something that's unlawful in heaven, something that is not his will. And he's turning a deaf ear to it. And he's turning a deaf ear to much of the church because of that. See, the problem is that evil has exalted itself and told the church to shut up and the church is complying. This is the church's most critical hour And what is she doing? She's closing her doors and conforming to the devil and his rules and regulations, not God's. No crowds, no fellowship, no singing, no touching. Don't you dare lay hands on the sick. None of that stuff. Close the doors. And the church is praying, stretch forth thine hand, O Lord, and heal. But the the Lord's hand is the church. And the church is closed. Don't get me started this morning. People call me the mean preacher. Not even call me the mean angry preacher. But the Lord says, be ye angry, but sin not. I don't think I've sinned yet. Righteous anger. (laughs) Man can't have righteous anger. Only the Lord can. I'll tell you that right now. But when Moses come down from Mount Sinai, you remember that? Forty days and forty nights in the presence of the Lord. He comes down from Mount Sinai and he is glowing. And the people said, your face is glowing. It's scaring us. Put a mask on. That's what they said. Mask the church so the glory of God can't shine through. Mask the church because we don't want people to see the Lord's glory. But the glory of the Lord is in you. Put a mask on so people can't see or hear the glory of the Lord. The church should be roaring like a lion. But we're cowering in a corner, licking our wounds, thinking that we've been defeated, that we've lost the election, that... Four years and beyond of hell is coming upon the earth. I told you last week, as long as Walmart, Lowe's, Home Depot, Liquor Barn, and Planned Parenthood are open, we will be open too. They declared these places to be essential. I bind it in the name of Jesus because it is not Uh, essential to God. This church, I'm declaring this church to be essential because God said it's essential in heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If we are praying, we're not praying right. And we may have started out praying for this election uh, strong, but now we're wavering. 
Well, maybe it's not the will of God for Trump to have a second term. I mean, he, he did lose the popular vote. They sold my car. We started listening to evil reports, and it drowned out God's voice and caused our hearts to melt. God spoke through his prophets, and his will hasn't changed. He spoke undeniably through his prophets and had them write it down before, he w- before Trump was ever even a president. He still wants to extend mercy to the United States of America, Israel, and as much of the, other, the rest of the world as he possibly can. God loves this world. And it's not going to happen with Biden-Harris. It's going to happen with his man of the hour, Trump. Because Trump has the trumpet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God still wants an end-time revival that's going to save millions of of souls. This is the end-time harvest that he's looking for, the one that he is long patience for, the precious fruit of the earth. He's not going to get that through Biden and Harris. He's going to get it through Trump. He has, you know, Trump is a rude, egotistical, narcissistic person. I'll be the first to admit it. But he's got God's heart. And, and every prophet I've read about in the Old Testament was the same way. Rude, egotistical, narcissistic, and just rub you the wrong way. But they were still chosen by God. That's the the man God chose for this hour. So it's our job to get in, move over, or get run over. Get in, get out, or get run over. Amen? Amen. I'm getting ready to close. This is my first close. In 2 Samuel... I guess around about the 15th chapter, David's son Absalom was going to steal the kingdom from the legal king. It was a coup. At first, it was a peaceful coup. He secretly gathered followers unto himself by promising them things that he knew he couldn't give them. And when the time was right, he gathered them together and held a news conference and announced that he was the king. He wasn't declared the king by the proper authorities. He was just, I just, I'm just going to get up there and announce that I'm the king. Hallelujah. And so they were dancing in the streets and declaring that the old king's reign was over. It was time for a reset. Kill David and bring everyone together for a party. Get rid of Trump. Absalom's council says, kill him now. Make him concede now. Get him out of the picture now so Absalom can reign. And when David got wind of it, he went underground and laid low. Not because he was afraid of Absalom, but because it was his beloved son. And he was in shock, if not anything else. But David prayed. And God had him send a spy that gave Absalom some bad information And Absalom asked David's spy what to do. Well, David's spy changed Absalom's plan, 
and turned it in God's, in David's favor because David prayed. Thank God for good lawyers and a few honest judges. But this, we're asking them to do the job that God gave to the church. This is the church's job. If God chooses to use lawyers and judges and the laws of the land and even the Supreme Court, so be it. But it's our job to pray that God's will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That's our job. And if it doesn't get done the way we think it should be done through a landslide election or whatever, it doesn't mean it's not going to get done. It's got to be done in such a way that people will shake their heads and say, that had to be God. God ain't going to give a, a, a lawyer or a judge his glory for this thing. There were two Republicans that caved into the pressures from the Democratic Party, and they, voted, they, they certified the votes in Detroit. But the church prayed, and the next day, those same two uh, Republicans recanted their votes and decertified the uh, ballots in Detroit. So we have to pray like David prayed to confuse the evil leaders. I'm going to give you a couple, and then i got to quit. i got eight more pages of notes here. But Psalms number three is a prayer that David prayed when he was fleeing from Absalom. Don't you think this would be a good biblical prayer for the church to pray today for President Trump? I mean, all these things in the Bible have relevance. I mean, you can find things that happen in the Old Testament and find their New Testament equal. And it's God giving us direction how we should pray. Let me just read this Psalm 1 through 8. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? I know this is David talking, but this could be Trump. Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him from God. And I mean, we just had a CNN news anchor. I won't give his name. You know him. He's got a brother that's the governor of New York, but I won't give you his name. He said this nation doesn't need God. I mean, that's what an atheist thinks anyway. So they're saying there is no help for him in God. But thou, O Lord, are a shield for me. Can you picture Trump praying this prayer? Thou, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of mine head. See, a lawyer and a judge or a man's law is not going to lift Trump's head. God is going to be the lifter of his head. God is going to be the restorer of his glory. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. And he heard me out of his holy hill. Why did he hear him? Because he was praying his will. I know I'm in the position that I, I, I was placed in. I know God called me for this hour. I'm not backing down from that. And God hears that. He says, I laid me down and slept. That's faith. I awaked for the Lord sustained me. Not the lawyers, not the judges, not the laws. The Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people 
that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me. Oh, my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. God is going to slap them right in the face. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Trump could pray that prayer. Or the church can pray that prayer for Trump. That's called intercession. That's called supplication. Then I'm just going to give you these, and you write them down and pray them later, but you'll see what I'm talking about. You can put Trump in every one of these and hundreds of other passages just like him, but Psalms 9, Psalms 12, Revelation 3. I know I jumped from Psalms to Revelation, but it tells us that we have the key of David and an open door. Trump has the key of David and an open door. Jesus said to hold fast and don't let anyone take your crown. Amen. Don't let anyone take Trump's crown either. Yeah, but the news media already declared Biden as the winner. I love this. It tickles me. Might as well be Walmart declaring him as the winner. God didn't declare it, so it doesn't count. Psalms 35, Psalms 56, Psalms 59, Psalms 64, Isaiah 45. There's a couple I'll give you in Isaiah, verse 1. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus. Trump is a modern-day Cyrus. Study the, king, the, the reign of Cyrus whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor. Did not Trump do that all over this world? To open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. Trump had an open door everywhere he went in this world. Verse 13 says, I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free, but not for a price or reward, says the Lord Almighty. Trump ain't took a penny in salary since he's been the president. Matter of fact, the salary he got, he gave away. But we need to pray that they find where those votes were redirected. We need to pray that... They find the evidence they need with this Dominion and smart tech voting systems. And then in Psalm 72 is a prayer for King Solomon that could fit President Trump. They touched God's anointed and they should be brought to shame. And he'll do that when he slaps them in the face. In Psalm 72, it says, It's time that those who have stood with you and suffered loss and persecution be avenged. Save Trump and deliver him. You are our only hope, and we look to no one else. That's the key. Not the lawyers, not the judges. We look to God. He could do it any way he wants to. Deuteronomy 8, 2, and 3, it says, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee, these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee 
to know what was in thine heart, whether thou would keep his commandments or no. Trump has been through that. The church needs to go through that. We go through things like this for a reason because God is trying to find out what's in our heart and whose side we're on. And that's what the, the church is showing God today. He knows the churches that are on his side and the ones that are not because he tested them. He humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of uh, the mouth of God. So God lets us experience things to test us and find out if he can rely on us. And a great portion of the church has proved that he cannot rely on them. Henceforth, the remnant church that I've been talking about. He's got a remnant that's waiting to rise up. This is the glorious church. This is the church that's going to go forth and show forth the Lord's glory in the earth. This is the church that's going to intercede in prayer. You know, the laws of no land should govern it. God should govern the land. And how is he going to do it? Through the church. He's got to do it through the church. And the church has to pray that his will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We already know what God wants. We've just been too lazy to pray it through. Amen. Uh, oh, Lord. I got to quit here. I got to quit. I'm sorry I kept you all so long. No, I ain't. I break the power of that confession in Jesus' name. I ain't sorry. You could have got up and left any time you wanted to, but you chose to sit here, so it's y'all's fault. Hallelujah. Let's pray, and I'm going to turn our Facebook family loose. If there's any of them left out there, I don't know. <laughs> Father, we thank you. We praise you. Lord, I know that the truth hurts sometimes, and the tr truth is bold as a lion sometimes, but that's what we need. We need to be slapped in the face every now and then with the truth. Hallelujah. Lord, I believe I, I, I preach truth here today, and I believe that what they heard was truth, and I believe that they received the truth of God's word. It is time for the church to rise up and do her job. Quit being mealy mouth, hiding in a corner, afraid to offend somebody, afraid they'll say something that's not politically correct, afraid to say something is, is right that's wrong, and vice versa. It is time for the church to speak your word, your word only. Determine what your will is and get on their knees and pray till your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So we thank you that at least that part of the message got through today. We give you the glory. We'll give you the praise. Thank you, Lord, for the doctors. Thank you, Lord, for the lawyers. Thank you, Lord, for the judges and the Indian chiefs and everybody else, Lord. But we're not looking to them. We're looking to you. If you decide to use them, Praise the Lord, so be it. We'll pray it through. But God, you are our source. We're looking to the hills from whence our help cometh. And that's the hill of God. Hallelujah. So we thank you and praise you, give you glory and honor. In Jesus' mighty name, touch and heal your people in the earth today, Lord. Touch and heal those that have COVID or those that are carrying COVID, Lord. And God, we want to see recovery rates, not just amongst the young. We want to see recovery rates against those that have the odds stacked against them, Lord. We want to see recoveries 
in the elderly people, Lord, those with compromised conditions and compromised immune systems, Lord. Then we'll, then maybe the, Lord, the world would believe that surely that had to be the Lord because no man, no doctor, no medicine could do it. We look to you, Lord, and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. We love you and appreciate you. See you on Wednesday night. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.